Hello and welcome to Let the Bird Fly, a podcast about living freely in a world given back to us. Uh, this is Mike. I'm in my backyard and I'm joined by Pastor Bordelin, who's been on our show a few times. And we're here today to talk about preaching at a funeral, which may seem like a dour subject, but uh, it really isn't if it's done right. And so we're going to discuss that from a uh, a preacher's point of view and, and what do you think about when it comes time uh, that time to preach at somebody's funeral and how do you navigate the family how do you navigate being able to preach the gospel and still be personable about the person who is deceased um, and I don't have the sheet in front of me for our disclaimer I think I'm supposed to say something about 1517, the Legacy Project, and all the good things that they do. Um, and they support us. We're a part of their podcast network. So check them out, 1517.org. Um, with that, um, we're going to come back uh, in a short bit here with our free-for-all, where we're going to discuss the books that we have been reading lately. Okay, we're back, and I'm here with Pastor John Bordelin from Oguanago, uh, Wisconsin. He serves St. John's uh, Lutheran Church there, and a very busy man. Uh, probably spends a lot of his time trying to figure out how can I less be a CEO of a big congregation, more a pastor. And uh, one of those things that's always pulling uh, at pastors is the balance, not necessarily between family and work, although that certainly is an issue, but the balance between doing administrative stuff and good pastoral care kind of stuff, but also being able to study and not just the, the text of the Bible for preaching. Hopefully everybody's doing that. And certainly there are times when you cut corners either because you don't have time um, or you just get lazy. Um, and that's, and that's bad. But uh, what often gets um, neglected first um, is kind of the extra reading, maybe a book on doctrine, um, uh, a new book that's out there that has to do with pastoral care, but even not only that, but novels and history books and, and just the books that help us become well-rounded people and therefore uh, better preachers and better communicators. So, John, you brought a book. I don't know if that was for this podcast or not, but uh, what have you been reading lately that, uh, that might interest our, our listeners? Yeah, I want to uh, thank you uh, for suggesting the topic today, Mike, um, because a book I had read oh, on Kindle about uh, 10 years ago, uh, accompanying them with singing, um, The Christian Funeral um, by Thomas Long. And here's how I roll. Um, I don't know how to get onto my Kindle anymore. And so <laughs> I bought a bunch of books for Kindle and then uh, don't can't get them. So I actually, uh, about three months ago, uh, ordered on a whim, um, the book in paperback form, and when you said, hey, we're going to talk about this in a few days, um, I was able to spend a couple hours, last couple of days, reading through that. So um, I come with them with singing the Christian funeral. Um, and, and probably the background of it is um, having first served in a parish um, in a rural setting, and I don't know if it was like that for you in Wood Lake, but uh, the congregation really turned out for funerals. Mm -hmm. I mean, Even if they didn't know the person. Even if they didn't know the person. And it took me um, a, a while there to figure out, like, hey, how is that young guy related to the 
the person um, being buried and it took a few funerals to realize uh, he, he wasn't there because of his relation or knew it. It was just, um, that's what you did. And so, um, and Thomas Long makes a point of that and, and really made the point of um, the funeral as one big act and um, that this doesn't uh, stop at the doors of the sanctuary. We go all the way to the cemetery. Mm -hmm. And so that was good. And just flipping through it, then there was a chapter on preaching at funerals. So so most recently, accompanying them was singing the Christian funeral by Thomas Long. And uh, we'll, we'll get into to funeral stuff. There's a lot there that came to my mind right away. Um, and we'll get into our uh, early ministries. Both of us were in smaller towns and uh, now we're in metropolitan areas and different uh, vocations now, but there's some similarities to our experiences in the, in the parish now. Um, what else have you been reading? What was the book before that? The book you? before that was Upside Down Spirituality by uh, Chad Bird. Okay. Uh, that was just kind of, uh, uh, I was on a plane a couple of weeks ago and had a few hours each way, and that was just a nice read, and uh, I've always appreciated uh, Chad's turning of a phrase and, and the way the gospel just, he, he, he speaks the gospel in, in terms where, I haven't always spoken so clearly, and so that was a that was just a fun, easy read, and and, and marked it up like crazy. So good, I haven't read that one yet. Um, yeah. So I've been reading a, quite a bit of apologetic stuff just because of what I have to, what's before me, and in stuff that I have to do this uh, late spring and, and early summer. Uh, a guide to the perplexed is an interesting book. I forget the author. Um, Schumacher, something Schumacher, and. Um, You're not expecting me to know that, are no, you? And okay. not a, uh, not a Lutheran. I'm, I think he is a Christian, but uh, there, it, it was just interesting on, uh, just kind of how to think about, how to think about who we are as human beings, um, and some classic stuff that many of our listeners probably already know, but just kind of going through. Okay, if I look at a rock, that's material. And that rock is somehow different than the plant. The plant has something called life. Can't really put our finger on it. Can't really completely um, describe it scientifically. We can see what it does. We can kind of maybe even look at the mechanisms. But we can't really define this thing that is not material. That's called life. And then uh, the next step would be animals. Animals are, they have something else more than material and life they seem to be aware um, maybe at different degrees and then you have humanity which is a next level it has material it has life it's aware but it's also self-aware it uh, seeks wonderment and purpose and uh, things that certainly just by our, our regular day experiences were something different than the animals we're not satisfied with uh, a little bit of a play and uh, like a squirrel like uh, maybe plays around a little bit but may major focus is to stay alive and bury nuts that kind of thing and then the next step of course would be the divine if you keep going up that that way so that was an interesting book uh, a little bit more down to earth peter williams can we trust the gospels on my second go around on this but real short easy book uh, talking about um, <clears throat> If you look at the Gospels, how is that history? Um, it, could these be fakes? That kind of stuff, and just goes through some interesting arguments. And most of them I heard before, but uh, not. Say, so, do you pick anything new out of that, or just? Yeah, yeah. I, well, it, maybe I'd read it before, but just the fact: if this was a fake, then Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John would have presumably got a few things wrong. For instance, what are the common names 
of Jewish people in first century Palestine. You know, uh, you know, today, what are the famous names that are of people being born? Right. You know, um, and and then if this was a fake a couple hundred years later where people wouldn't have the access to that history like we do today, it seems that maybe they would have gotten something that, of that wrong. They got the um, the names of the plants right. They got um, the geography right. Those kind of details that it takes somebody years and a lot of study just to come up with like one little chart. <laughs> and I'm glad somebody does it and has the time and the access to do that. But uh, that kind of stuff. So more apologetic stuff is where I've been in right now and actually looking forward to get off of that a little bit. So Mike, are you the type of guy that uh, when you're looking for something in your library, you know exactly what shelf and it's the third book in from the left and do you ever uh the reason i ask is um i have a couple of folks graduating from high school and college um i'm looking for a gift and uh, one of my go-to's is uh harold sank yep. um dying to live well i had lent out however many copies mm-hmm. of it so i was searching for one on my shelf and when i was there i ran into um I think it's T. David Gordon, uh, Why Johnny Can't Preach and Why mm-hmm. Johnny Can't. So it was like this little, like, oh, you know, Sarah's right. I don't need to go buy a bunch <laughs> more books. I have them hiding on my shelf. And right. so, But you don't do that because you're so organized. You know exactly where everything is I at all times. I used to, but uh, now that I'm in a new office, I can't. You know, and I, it's not because I'm organized. It's because I stop working and just stare at the books that's what I have in there. In fact, today I was looking for Josephus because I wanted to look up this one reference from, from this other book. And I probably spent 10 minutes looking for this book that was right behind me. So did you find anything else while uh, you were looking or you're just, you're just ticked that you couldn't no, find No, There's a lot of books there where I'm like, Oh, I should read that. I bought that. I should read that. Or I should reread that. Um, I, I think we've talked about this before that we, we've, both bought in books that we already owned. Um, <laughs> Wade and I, Wade, both of us in this last year and a half have bought in books and then we come over to each other's offices. Hey, you want this? Here you go, the walk of shame. <laughs> You're welcome. <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> One time, only once, had I bought a book, started reading it and said, I've already read this. There was a couple of used bookstores in Lincoln, Nebraska where uh, uh, Luther's works would appear pretty dirt cheap from time to time. <laughs> Every time I was in there, I buy them. It only took me about five years before I finally put into my phone the volumes I already had because <laughs> I don't know how many times I went home with uh, extra copies. Well, there you go. So, yeah. so well, what's next on your on your list that you want to read? Yeah, so I think I mentioned the why Johnny can't preach, why Johnny can't sing hymns, but um, I do have a stack of apologetic stuff, some books that you had recommended that I have not gotten into. So, I mean. I don't have time to think about what I'm going to read next. I don't take that time. It's kind of like, oh, I found this. Here we go. So right, yeah, I have a whole shelf of books that someday I'll read. Uh, what's I'll next? On, what's it. next on your list? Um, when you get off this, yeah, but I kit. don't know if I'm going to get off that for a while because I have some some stuff. But then I have to go right into uh, some church history stuff because I'm going to teach uh, uh, history of Christianity next semester, and I'm not a historian, even though I like history. So. Uh, gonna be uh, tackling that next. Um, so, but there's quite a few books that uh, um, that I have bought that I ho- was hoping to get to right now. Um, but uh, we'll get to them later. I did. I did notice that um, as I was searching, um, I have not read enough Sase lately. You know, it's been um, that end of the bookshelf is a place I need to get back to. So, I know one book that I did. Um, by that is not just purely a novel um 
uh, Umberto Eco, The Name of the Rose. I did buy, so hopefully I will carve out some time this summer and actually read a novel. What do you got? Yeah, so the last uh, last Christmas, I always read something. It wasn't a novel. It was um, Evicted. Um, mm -hmm. It was a story of uh, how uh, housing... Uh, uh, probably the furthest thing from my ministry setting, right? Where <laughs> it's talking inner city mm -hmm. housing and all that has all kinds of. But I was really kind of eye opening and uh, makes me think as I drive into Milwaukee for hospital visits and stuff. Uh, there's a bigger story going on there than than I allow myself to think about often. So yeah, we we read that. Uh, I had read it already, but it was our campus read. Oh really? And uh, the trailer park that is mentioned there mm -hmm. um, is just about six blocks mm -hmm. that way. Mm -hmm. And the place where the author had lived and did his research, on, he did it at the trailer park. And then on the north side, it says, we pass, or my wife passes every day on to her work about five blocks from our church. So, and uh, yeah, and you just keep driving by, not thinking about it. So that was a good book for us to, to read. So, And the last time um, you laugh at this, that I think I've read every book ever written about um, minor league baseball in America. <laughs> <laughs> that was like a good six summer kick, you know, and I mean, yeah. it's, there's like, what do you read another book about baseball? <laughs> <laughs> I do have, I do have three nights in August um, about uh, um, Tony La Russa um, and the details of the game that I was going to read five years ago but it's still on the shelf so every august i say that's this is when i'm going to do it and it never happens so Maybe this is the time. Uh, a good baseball book's a good uh is a good one uh a couple netflix things by the way i i was uh didn't feel like doing anything and um <coughs> two of them one was the battered bastards of baseball uh, really it's a good documentary i will uh maybe an hour long and then there was another one about uh, a Little League game in Florida between an all-black uh, Little League all-star game, you know, in the tournament for the Little League World Series and an all-white team. And uh, it was it was, it was was pretty good. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but uh, um, those two are on Netflix. So if anybody is a baseball fan, and there's wants, like, it's a good story. There's those a are. Clint Eastwood one on Netflix with, uh, he was a um, high school scout for the Atlanta Braves. and you'll love it so there you go all right so in case anybody's interested in what we do with our free time there you go <laughs> uh, we'll be back with something a little bit more serious preaching at funerals Wisconsin. Uh, previously had served in Plymouth, Nebraska, a town about 4, 450. Um, and uh, we're here to talk about funerals, like I said. And some of you who are lifelong Lutherans and new pastors or have pastors in your family may have heard this, but it's probably surprising to a lot of people to hear this, that uh, most pastors would rather do a funeral than a wedding. And part of that is wedding is like hurting cats and you're just happy if uh, the groomsmen are sober 
and that the bride and uh, the family of the bride, let's say, allows you to speak about Jesus for a little bit, and that's a that's a victory. Um, but a funeral, even though it seems, you know, counterintuitive to say this, is just such a blessing because you have a very captive audience. Number one, uh, number two, you probably like weddings. You have people that haven't been in church since the last wedding or the funeral. It's a great opportunity. And they're a captive audience because uh, life and death is right before them, right? And so they're not looking to be entertained, um, usually. They're not looking uh, for something. Um, um, they're not coming in thinking, okay, wow me, preacher, maybe I'll come back next Sunday. Um, but they're looking, they're looking for something whether they admit it or not. And so it's just such a great opportunity. And, and to finally say, here is heaven and this is why um, this person's going to heaven is just such a, such a remarkable thing. And, and maybe we can talk with that whole idea of just the parish. Maybe we can start there before we can get into uh, preaching the idea. Both of us had the experience of uh, parish members coming to funerals of people they didn't really know, they weren't related to, but they were a part of the congregation. And we both had big enough congregations that you could, you knew everybody, but you didn't, you may not known them personally. You maybe only barely knew their name. Um, and so it wasn't, it would have been, it would be odd in other, probably other settings that you would show up for this funeral. In fact, maybe the family would be like, why are they there? But it was just a beautiful thing that someone has passed away and has gone to heaven. I'm going to be there to celebrate that. I'm going to be there for the family. Um, and, uh, but we probably both, I know I have, preached at funerals where three people show up, too. And so there still is that wide variety of, of an audience, if you want to call it that, that you're preaching to on that day. So tell us about your experience preaching uh, in Plymouth, first of all. <laughs> well, just if you don't uh, mind, I had a member tell a story. You talk about three people showing up. Uh, I have a member tells a story of going to a family member's funeral where there were eight people there, and the preacher started out the sermon by saying the guy's name and said, and not many people liked him. <laughs> and all eight people kind of nodded their yep, heads in agreement. That's about right. I yep. thought that's good. So, yeah, um, you know, you talk about the size of the congregation. I think also the size of the towns that we served in allowed that probably more, too, where that was more yeah, of maybe, a, yeah. a community thing. But, um, yeah, um, and maybe if you don't mind, I'd step back even before the funeral. It's the, it's the days and weeks that uh, lead up to months and years that lead up to the funeral. Um, when you're a pastor to your people, uh, maybe you've had that experience, the, the funeral sermon kind of writes itself, and I'm not saying that in a way where you don't put time into it, but um, when you're able to be with uh, the dying, um, then to preach the hope of the resurrection, um, mm -hmm. it, it just, it's there. Conversely, um, I've preached at a funeral where I was had been installed as the pastor there less than a day, so mm -hmm. really was, and you just... Um, I'm preaching at this funeral, and I don't know this person, um, but I know their confession, and mm -hmm. so. Um, but that's the uh, not the uh, not the norm, I'd say. Right. Yeah, I, I I think you should be able to preach a a good Lutheran pastor should be able to preach a funeral sermon on the spot, mm -hmm. right? I mean, like if you five minutes later you need to preach, okay, I can do that. Um, I used to joke with someone, and it was only a half joke. Um, I would talk about funerals and, you know, what texts and hymns maybe you plan to have or anything like that and kind of walk through sort of 
how you should quote unquote plan for your service. And we can talk about that in a second. But I joked and I said, just so you know, I already have your sermons written. I already know what I'm going to say, uh-huh. you know. And that was kind of a pastoral thing, especially elderly members. And you saw them with your family. You saw their confession. You saw you knew their personality. That you would say, I kind of already know what I'm about to say. I already know. I know that you're you're still alive, <laughs> mm-hmm. and you're and you're not even sick. Um, but if uh, you pass away, I already know what I'm going to say. Um, and, and that sounds creepy and weird and and dark. <laughs> But it's actually quite pastoral and uh, in the same way, maybe, a, you know, a, um, a father knows what he's going to say to his children before they get married. Uh, in the same way, um, you may, you know, someday think already, this is what I'm going to say to my to my parents as, um, you know, on their last on their on their last days. So a pastor kind of already knows that a little bit. Mm-hmm. I remember a, a dear lady at a funeral luncheon. You know, she was serving the meal, and she said, I don't want you standing up at my funeral, you know, telling them all these nice things about me. And I said, I wasn't planning on it. <laughs> <laughs> she was the type of lady who would appreciate that. So so you mentioned you'd be able to, you'd be able to preach a funeral sermon on the spot, uh, uh, not taking into account the, uh, the time of the church here. Um, and you had a funeral right now to preach. Uh, what what text do you read before you preach? Yeah, I, I think I go a couple different ways. Either I usually would say, okay, I'm going to do an ascension, or I'm going to do something that's flat out Easter resurrection, or um, something probably from Revelation seven or something like mm-hmm. that, and. You know, the ascension, I would go to the promises. Here are the four, here's like four or five sort of quote unquote ascension promises that Jesus made either at his ascension or before or during his passion. I'll be with you always to the very end of the age. Um, I'm going to come back and get you. I'm preparing heaven for you. I will send the spirit to you. And, and here is, you know, getting ahead of ourselves here, but here's, I think, a mistake a lot of preachers make is that they don't speak to the people. Right, they're they're preaching about somebody or something instead of preaching to the people ahead of you and to say, um, this person's gone, um, but they're in heaven and here's the promises that that kept them in the faith. These are the same promises for you. And of course, Easter um, uh, writes itself, and then uh, Revelation, just the picture of people coming, uh, you know. Uh, here are the ones who came from the Great Tribulation, and just painting the picture of, well, here Gertrude just popped in, mm-hmm. you know, and and what a just the the grandness of that, and of course First Corinthians fifteen. I mean, you could you could probably go <clears throat> an average ministry of, you know, let's say five funerals a, a year, and preach on First Corinthians fifteen, and not have to start again, you know, just a one verse on first Corinthians 15 and not start again until maybe 20 years later. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's just so much there. Um, so yeah. And, and often in the committal service was, it was not off the cuff. I wouldn't say that I did prepare. Um, but having those kind of mini, mini little sermons at, um, before the person dies, if you know, it's happening. Uh, after the person dies, if you have the privilege of being there with the family at the hospital or wherever it is, and then maybe the, the little, uh, devotion before the service with the family, then the actual sermon. 
and then the, uh, the committal. I mean, you probably have five, six little mini devotions or, or mini sermons or devotions right there. And you, you are able to go through the, the gamut and, and, and I probably gravitated, probably should have expanded myself too, but I would gravitate to Ezekiel 37, Job 19. Um, once in a while I'd go a little bit off if, if it was somebody that in a particular way hit me, you know, like if he was a, a strong patriarchal figure in the family or she was a strong matriarchal uh, in the family, then something along those lines like this is the legacy that this person has left behind mm-hmm. is is right here in the pews right that kind of stuff so i'm glad you mentioned you know that uh, the the people in front of you and so you said easter preaches itself and but then you just think through the the easter gospels um and pay attention to the people you know where where it seemed that death had won and so there's mary in the garden right and then there's the disciples um, in the upper room, and I think about Romans six. Well, you know, so, uh, the dead have—he's already been through death, mm-hmm. you know. So mm-hmm. here we go. Um, but to speak to them specifically, because whether they want to think about it or not, there is a wooden box up there, um, and that's where they're all heading, right? And so um, to preach to um, dying men um, with that in mind, as far as being able—it just hit me. We had a youth confirmation two weeks ago at my parish and uh, adult confirmations last week. And didn't hear me tell I hear my associate reading through the confirmation, right, that the blessing that's spoken at the end of our confirmation, right, um, may God the Father who created you and may God the Son who redeemed you and the Holy Spirit sanctify, keep you, is the same words that are in our committal, right, mm-hmm. that we um, speak over the body, may, you know, that, that that connection. So I have a committal on Saturday where I think that kind of wrote itself. Sure. But, um, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot, I, and I've always, <laughs> funeral preaching, I, I can understand why it is difficult for some. Can we name the difficult, oh, go ahead with your yeah, thought. Yeah, and, and for me, it never, it, that was never a problem, um, and I don't know why. Same thing with, with weddings, too, I don't, I don't know why, I'd, I had problems, I had problems elsewhere <laughs> in the, in the, in the church here, um, but uh, I, I think some of the some of the difficulty is um, you want to you want to be personal, but you don't want to preach about the person. And a lot of people outside of the church, or maybe even inside the church, expect a eulogy. Um, expect uh, this is not going to be a funeral; it's going to be a celebration of life, um, and. I think what you get over that and you thought that through in your mind that not only is that not the right thing to do, it's what the devil wants. The devil wants you only to have a memorial because a memory looks to the past. Uh, the devil wants you to say, to pretend like death is not a big deal. Um, the devil wants you to pretend like, um, uh, that, that this person lives on in your memory and that's it. So all those trite little things that we say that are nice and they're seeming, well, they're, the, they're theologies of glory, right? They seem good, but they're actually, I think the devil's work. And once you get over that a little bit, um, then you're not afraid to preach. Now the trick is, is still being, um, delightful, kind, 
generous to the person, generous to the family, while still having that, we're not going to talk about this person because that's not good enough. Yeah, yeah and I think you, you nailed right away uh, to it. I was going to say challenges to preaching funeral, nailed two of them right away. And just people's expectations and just the earth-shattering nature of the gospel, you know, um, not just at a funeral, but but on any given Sunday. Um, I was at a uh, funeral visitation. One of my members' fathers uh, passed away, um, and so wasn't able to make the funeral service this afternoon. But, you know, going through the, the line there and, um, you know, embracing this member of mine and just saying, you know, um, God is going to give him back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, that's uh, um, not he looks nice. You know, I don't know what he looked like alive, you know, but, you know, that's uh, um, God is going to give him back and God has scrawled temporary over this pain. Mm-hmm. And um, and I don't know, that's it's just what you, that's where you go with it. I, one of the other challenges is raw emotion. Um, as you said, you have to be delightful to the people there. And, and you've been in, in those pews and you know the raw emotions there. And, that, and that's real. Um, you know me well enough, Mike, to know um, I cry at the drop of a hat. So that's one of my challenges in preaching is to mm-hmm. um, to steal yourself for you for that time for the good of the people in front of you. And then I weep in the sacristy. Mm-hmm. Um, afterwards, I, I can very rarely sit through a funeral, um, when I'm there, um, as family member or friend, um, and you know, the, the tears just come, but, but when you're in front, but you recognize that raw emotion. And and for some of the folks who've, who've been taught, you got to put a stiff upper lip on and you shouldn't cry at these things, um, until you mount the pulpit and they see you standing there over that that dead body and sometimes that's when they let it out for the first time so that's uh and that is a good we should talk about that that's a tricky thing i can remember many a hymn before the sermon like i'm glad it was a four verse hymn because if it was after the first second or third verses i wouldn't have made it you know it took me that long to go okay get yourself together here Mm -hmm. um if you you actually allow yourself to think about the gospel that you are singing. Yeah. And and it was it was actually very rarely because oh I'm going to miss this person. Mm-hmm. It was the emotions it was it was not it was not sorrowful tears. It was just overtaken by the emotions of the uh, of the moment. Um because you know you know that there are doubts out there. You know that there are people hurting. I mean, you're literally death and life is coming crashing together right here. And uh, that's why it's such a privilege. But um, with those kinds of privileges comes um, not just nerves, but a, a realization that um, you don't deserve to be speaking to these people. Um, this, is, this is something, this is God speaking here. And you better not screw it up. Not to trivialize what happens in the in the service on Sunday mornings, but to say <clears throat> your people deserve better than you the fifty two weeks out of the year, but this is the only time she's going to lay her husband to rest, mm-hmm. you know. And yeah, yeah, you're on uh, that's holy ground there. Yeah, and and I think the way you can be personal is and and I I tried not to do this all the time because um, you know in in small towns like us you like that we served in. Uh, you previously uh, 
you you couldn't do the same sermon over and over again because mm-hmm. <laughs> right they, and you wouldn't want to but or the same kind of sermon but but a lot of times i would say this is what i said the last time i saw fred mm-hmm. um and that's one way to make it personal another way to make it personal is to say what a gift this person was to you and list off all the great things you know, mm-hmm. and you don't even have to say, oh, but he was also a sinner. Like we always know. You don't even have to go there. They know that you, you have to say the proof. The proof is almost in front of you. <laughs> right. The proof is literally right there in the in the in the uh, under that pole. Um, so I, I think you you can have a paragraph that says this is this is great, you know, and and or this is my, I would rarely phrase it like this way just because it's bad speaking but once in a while this was a good memory i had of her mm-hmm. um or he said this to me and i'll never forget that i wouldn't make that i i think that's just bad speaking to to always go to that but there are occasions when i think that's that is appropriate um you just didn't want to do it every time um you want to talk about the people in front of you and and to acknowledge their real hurt these are people who are holding on to the joy of the resurrection and yet there are still some very real tears there because of, um, you know, when God gives a gift um, and then that gift is taken away and to acknowledge where that pain and hurt and, and for them to hear the pastor say, not that that makes it okay, but I, I hurt with you, you know, mm-hmm. with, without being, you know, cheap mm-hmm. and sentimental, if that makes sense, mm-hmm. you know, to, um, no, I'm with you on that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, I think very quickly I matured, I think like I said before, I think I matured quicker in my funeral and wedding preaching than I did in my other preaching, uh, which was God's gift to those people um, through me. Um, I made a quick turn that um, I'm going to take the attitude of St. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and have a defiant tone mm-hmm. um, and say, <clears throat> I don't care that she was 99 years old and lived a full life this ain't right and you should not settle for this death and uh, you can look death right now poke death in the eye and say no and when it comes your turn you can say to death to where oh, death is your victory and and that that kind of real almost defiant tone and confidence and boldness is the order of the day versus I remember going to get milk and cookies at Gertrude's house and, oh, that was a nice story. Um, that, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. And um, I don't know if you found yourself, <clears throat> you know, attending funerals as a pastor, you know, your parishioner, family member, other churches, that defiance um, in the face of death is not heard often no. in funeral preaching. So very, very often after the invocation um, at the beginning of the sermon, um, it is right. First Corinthians 15. And we're going to lay it out there. It's a, a funeral director. I really loved and respected out in uh, Nebraska. I remember saying him to him once at a funeral, you know, it's good to see it. He said, not, not, uh, not today. It's not. And it, I knew what he meant. It was a difficult funeral and it was an unexpected circumstance, but his point was, well, we're used to it when they're 80 or 90, mm-hmm. but you know, not in these situations. And, um, and to say even when they're 80 or 90, I'm not going to sit up there and tell you what the world's going to say. Oh, this is, you know, mm-hmm. he had his good full life, mm-hmm. you know, as if, uh, uh, no, you know. No. Yeah. Yeah. 
Noah had a full life, <laughs> not, the, <laughs> not this guy at 85, right? Um, I, <clears throat> that, and, and good preachers that bring the gospel every week seem to fail on funerals too and weddings too, unfortunately. And maybe that's why I, I'm like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm going to figure out a way and a, to think about these texts and think about funeral speaking where I'm not going to do that. And especially in a small town where, you know, the people that aren't your members know somebody in your church. And so they're going to be there at a funeral or at a wedding or whatever. And so you're literally, your reputation is on the line. Um, not to mention all the people that aren't in a church somewhere. Um, you want to impress your people. You want to impress outsiders, have a passionate, well thought out, um, and yet personal sermon. And they're going to be wild because those people have heard crappy funeral sermons their whole life. And it's just, and, and it does give a sense to the Christian church. Like this is all they got. I mean, I could have, and we're paying this guy. We're paying this guy when all he, he, he just, he just, it's like he just read off of 10 Hallmark cards, you know, in a row. Um, you really want to give the Christian message, uh, a good reputation if we can put it that way and your own congregation and, and the Lutheran church, if you're a Lutheran speaker or whatever denomination you are, hit a home run at a funeral and, and they'll be taken aback by somebody who's passionate about some guy that died at 95 that that guy that that guy from the pulpit cares enough about life and death and about his people that will make a impression that will last a very long time and i think you and i both have the experience of people that weren't our members maybe they went to another church or whatever but will come up to us and say that was impressive hard-nosed men who will say you know it's the first time i ever had to think in church that kind of thing yeah um, no, absolutely. I remember a, a, a farmer who very early in my ministry pulled me aside and said, you realize uh, our funerals is how we do evangelism around here. And I, <laughs> I knew exactly what he exactly what he meant. I remember a brother called one time having been to a funeral uh, somewhere else. And he said, you know, I just want to say to the guy, you know, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? And do you believe that that person believed that Jesus rose from the dead? Then why 25 minutes about that dumb, uh, you know, merry-go-round story, you know? Like, right. why, why not Jesus uh, right. at that point? So, right. yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, and it takes a while maybe to do a little training, too, within a congregation. Um, at the back of our bulletin for a funeral, every time I had a paragraph that says, why is this a funeral and not a memorial service? Here's why. And I had explain, uh, explanation of the Paschal Candle and the Paul and stuff like that. But, um, and just lay it out that memories aren't good enough. Um, I have something better for you. Uh, you, you know, and I wouldn't put it this way, but eulogies are nice and there's a time for that. But right now, um, we're talking about you get to see this person again. And preaching would often, I would sometimes just lay it out like that and say, listen, everybody's going to come up to you and say, sorry if you're lost and you're going to nod your head and, and it's meaningless. Or someone's going to say, here's a fond memory of your uncle and that's cute, but that doesn't, that doesn't, mean, doesn't mean a hill of beans. Here's the deal. You have something better. You have a promise of seeing this. You're going to see this person again and here's why. Um, it pulls that emotion out, the correct emotion, right? How about, you know, and the, and the, um, the beautiful thing of 
the preaching of the gospel then allows you to talk about the memories and the eulogies and the you know the the freedom to do such a thing right i mean that's uh <coughs> but uh devoid of the gospel um you know if only for this life uh i think some guy i forget what his name was paul um you're right <laughs> there, there's a pity if, if we only have hope oh, for this yeah. sort of stuff i mean so and 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 the more you do this you mature into this um and and it'll become second nature for you young preachers out there if you're if you're listening that it will become second nature for you and you will have kind of devices so one one device that you could say where you can make it personal but also much about the gospel is is you know okay um uh, i can remember somebody that buried buried their uh, a child wasn't stillborn, but only lived 45 minutes and say, you know, what you're, you, you lost the chance to play catch with your, with your six year old kid, but here's what you're going to have in heaven. You lost the opportunity to watch this kid grow, but here's what you have an opportunity. And you can say that about grandma too. Here's what you miss, but here's what you gain. Here's what, you, and in that way you make it about them but you also make it about something much better. You, there, there's those kind of nitty-gritty devices that, that you can use um, that, that will wow the people, even though it, they shouldn't be wowed by it, but they've never heard anything like this. They never heard the gospel be put this way in such a personal way that um, this voice that, that saying, you know, that, that uh, saying, now I lay me down to sleep to you every night is now singing with a, choir in heaven that kind of stuff is uh i can be very useful um i don't know if you want to go here with the conversation so you say no if uh things that make it difficult to preach at funerals um if you believe the statistics and this is not i'm not in any way talking about burial versus cremation but the reality is uh, more and more funerals are lacking a body mm-hmm. um, and the place of the funeral, you know, not, uh, I'm not going to pass judgment, a funeral at a funeral home versus a funeral mm-hmm. in the sanctuary, but uh, how you dealt with some of that as a pastor. Yeah. You know, there's some preemptive strikes there. I, you know, I would say to, I, I would regularly talk about funerals to my Bible class and other people say, think about this, you know, when, when you're planning this stuff. And, and I think that was, I think that was maybe a generation ago that, really was concerned about planning um probably not so much uh, today but you know one thing i would say is um i know that amazing grace is your favorite hymn however remember what you're going to be saying to your long lost nephew who hasn't been in church since you know whatever uh why don't you pick an easter hymn um forget about forget about you're dead you're already gone forget about your favorites uh, what am I going to say to the people there? And, and a part of that was, okay, cremation body. And, and, you know, listen, we're not going to go down. God can put anything back together. Obviously. Um, my quip was, yes, God can put, obviously can put the ashes back together as much as he can. Um, a body that's put in the grave, um, on the last day of judgment, but he's really busy that day. So why don't you make it easier for him? <laughs> um, but there is something, and one way to do that is to say, you know, most funerals will lend you a casket for the funeral service and do the cremation later. That means you got to do the committal later, but that happens for a variety of reasons anyway. Um, it is something to say this person and point at that casket. This person is going to, uh, in, in her or his own flesh, stand upon the earth and say, um, I know that my Redeemer lives. And, uh, 
when people think about cremation, they think about the cost. They think about, you know, I don't want to be seen, you, you know, I don't want to be seen that way. There's maybe a little bit of vanity there, um, that kind of stuff. What they're not thinking about is the people that need to say goodbye. They're not thinking about uh, the picture of the bodily resurrection. And I know the history of cremation used to be, you know, kind of a thumb your nose at the at the resurrection, and that's not the case anymore. So I'm never going to heap guilt upon somebody no. if they're going to do cremation. You're, just, you're not doing But a preemptive strike <laughs> yeah. is just to kind of say, listen, it's okay. However, think this through before you make that decision. One of the best attended Bible studies was a couple of weeks where you said, you know, um, uh, planning how to die, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, just leave it kind of out there. And, uh, and I, I think it was last Sunday, I said after uh, early service, I had three people come out to church that I want that one sung at my funeral. So post-service announcements after the second service, say, hey, you know, three other people want to sing this at the funeral. We do have papers for that, you know, <laughs> go ahead and make your make your plan, you know. So, yeah, um, yeah uh, that's all part of pastoral care too, right? And um, thankful for uh, funeral directors who allow me a seat at that table to, you mm-hmm. know, to talk about that stuff. So. Yeah, and I, I don't know what it's like in Milwaukee, but I know in the small town, it, the funeral directors were respectful and uh, a bad funeral director can ruin a, can ruin a funeral very, very quickly. Um, <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of that stuff. Uh, you know, maybe one other challenge, uh, you know, a family that has no Christian background or from, uh, maybe a different denomination that doesn't think in this way. And I mean, how many times people have said, we don't want a funeral, you know, kind of like we're hiring you to speak here we don't want to we don't want a funeral we want a celebration of life and i go okay mm-hmm. it's it, and and then just hope that my gospel sermon will be <laughs> will overcome their disappointment and that puts you on edge going into it but i bet there's never been a time where you've afterwards they've been disappointed they yeah how, no. you know they they don't they don't know what to expect yeah. you know what where, yeah. where where else do you let them come into you and say hey this is how you're supposed to do things around <laughs> here so yeah and i think uh it, it took a little while uh, when you're green to say oh this is going to be a disaster and i'm going to be on eggshells and i gotta after a while and i don't mean this well i don't care what they they say i'm going to do it anyway i don't mean it that way you just know the power of the gospel and if you do a good job and you're passionate and you show that you care, they're going to be happy whether they whether you use their story or not. And in fact, a lot of times I, I would say, tell me something about them that I don't know, because um, that's helpful. That's helpful in in thinking about this person and their connection and their identity in Christ and what often use those uh, examples. Um, and I, I think. After a while, you can navigate that pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, it didn't take it didn't take me too long to say, you know, I can do this. I, I became less afraid. Agreed. Yeah. So, um, uh, what else about preaching at a funeral that uh, that comes to mind? That uh, well, maybe you can talk about the privilege aspect or anywhere you want to go where you say, man, I can remember this one. What a privilege it was. You know, I felt so small and yet. Uh, you know so yeah um so important and not not in an egotistical way but like this is so so important yeah or shamefully how many times you didn't think in those terms and it was the the handwritten letter or the card afterwards that brought you back down to size you know in a way you know where uh you know 
oh yeah, Lord, you allowed me to have a part in that family, you know. Um, and the family truly was appreciative for someone who brought the gospel to him, not just at the time of the funeral, but but all that that led up to it. I, um, you know, you've had those moments too, and and uh, but I don't know how many times we were going to get together, you know, Easter, you know, evening, and uh, wound up at the funeral on Easter Monday, and, you know, and you're physically, mentally exhausted, but uh, but uh, nothing compared to what that family just went through, right. and you get to stand up and give uh, that family, Jesus, you know, what a sheer privilege to be able to do so and then then it always is an encouragement to to you mentioned in the introduction you know how to get yourself out from behind your desk and managing columns and <clears throat> all that sort of stuff to to be with real people which uh which makes you a better preacher mm-hmm. overall period mm-hmm. but allows you to actually stand up and preach at somebody's mm-hmm. uh, funeral not as a hired man not as the the guy who has to come in and give the 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 god shtick for 15 minutes but as someone who actually was with them um on on their journey you don't talk in those terms a whole lot you know the you know i know how that can go off the rails you know life is a journey you know but but you are here at that time and you're speaking to people at real time in history Mm -hmm. um who we believe what we confess to be true about our baptism so you We've been through this death, mm-hmm. you know. This is this is but the gate to life mm-hmm. immortal, um, uh, and to be able to to comfort them, and, yeah, yeah, and don't don't shy away from the, the that baptismal imagery. Like you know, he already died; he was already crucified with Jesus Christ. This is old hat. This is don't. This is fine, and the death that's coming your way, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine, and here's why, um, you know, and and from a pastoral perspective as well. Um, I mean, you could have a family or an individual. It's like, Oh, this young preacher comes in and you know, he's, I'm, he's 40 years, my junior, and I got to listen to him ramble on and whatever. And, and there, there, especially for men, it's hard for them to respect a young pastor until you bury their dad and you cut your vacation short or you went into the middle of the night or you dropped everything for whatever. Those are people then that um, loyalty is not the right word, but are loyal to you and loyal to the congregation in the right way. Not, not mm-hmm. to you personally, but... Um, and, and boy, things go a whole lot smoother after... Um, with maybe some families that can be difficult when you, when you went out of their way to, to give them a passionate gospel ministry um when their relative was going through that and when they were going through that um those are where you make those connections uh to the those are the connections that come flooding back for them and you when you take a call mm-hmm. um they were a part of your you were a part of their family um and you do that by mourning with them um by dropping everything i know i know we're we got to balance work and family and stuff like that. Um, but being a pastor is not that difficult when it comes. You just got to be organized. Um, and so you're going to maybe have a couple of vacations that are cut short. Well, you know what? The next week probably can take a couple of days off and nobody would even notice. So get right. over yourself um, and uh, go the extra mile. It will pay off in the long run for sure. Yeah, and you talk, yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that when you, you take a call to another place and some of that... 
<clears throat> some of the stuff that you did just because you did and you didn't even think about it but um and not just because you're you but because you were because you were the one who brought them what they needed at that time and maybe at such a time um in in their life or their relationship with you as pastor where they couldn't express it or they didn't know how to express it or or you didn't know how to receive it whatever the case might be um to to look back on some of those moments mm-hmm. and then to look at a new new place and say and the lord's going to give you plenty of opportunities to be that guy here mm-hmm. um to be the guy that brings on the gospel um, in their time of needs i mean it, yeah it's it is interesting with the um you know obviously my associate and i both would love to preach all the funerals and um and None it's, of the weddings. What's that? <laughs> oh, and the weddings. <laughs> and uh, you, um, you know, but there is also a joy of serving a family and then <clears throat> sitting there as your brother brings that same comfort and go, wow, you know, that's just, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. And I think that uh, hopefully we started off this uh, podcast saying that uh, we'd rather do a funeral rather than a wedding. And that's not to say that there aren't some fun things about weddings especially uh, you know when you have just a great couple that's eager to hear about the gospel um, as they start um, their life together Uh, and and it's a privilege to preach at anything of course Um, but we started off saying that maybe something weird for some of you to hear that we'd rather do a funeral than a wedding Um, but hopefully after you listen to us ramble on for a little bit, you get that sense where it is such a privilege and it's something that's always on the minds of pastors because we're dealing with life and death all the time. And, um, I can vividly remember multiple occasions driving in, uh, middle of the day or middle of the night, uh, you know, come to the hospital, uh, this may, you know, it, he may not make it through the night or kind of like that. And maybe a 20 minute drive to the hospital and thinking the whole way, not because you were working ahead or whatever, but it was just natural to say, I'm thinking about the resurrection. I'm thinking about the ascension. I'm thinking about Ezekiel. I'm thinking about whatever. And you started writing the sermon before the person yeah. already died. And and it was you're overtaken by the gospel at that moment and uh, all of the other stupid stuff the emails and the budget and all that stuff just fades away for a couple days and and especially in our situations in the rural area it was i mean they they did funerals right there was maybe a wake uh, or they would call it a visitation the night before there would be a meal this is a two, three day process where you say, whatever I was going to do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I'm going to get half of it done. That's fine. It's going to go to next week. Um, but you, what, what the, the benefit of that was is two and a half, three days of not thinking about all of the other stuff that can get you down. And, uh, what a, what a, what a wonderful privilege. I always, it always bothered me when a, when a pastor would say, well, I had, you know, two funerals this month, and so it's just been crazy or whatever. I'm like, that's when I got most of my stuff done. I was re-energized. This was great. This was, I mean, this was fantastic. This was, this was, this was something that was what I'm here to do. This is, this is the ultimate. This is, um, beside, outside of the church here, Easter and Christmas, this is, 
you know, your Super Bowl. Yeah, <laughs> this I mean, is like everything. You talk about those two or three days, and, and Jesus is like, hey, I'm trying to rain up here, you know, <laughs> you know, and you're messing it up by not doing all those things. And you look back and what was missed. And, and what did you say, Mike? Um, <clears throat> the preaching at funerals and the pastoral care leading up to funerals made you a better preacher, made you mm-hmm. a better pastor. I mean, mm-hmm. and finally, if. Um, that's what it's about so yeah. and i think uh for me as a young preacher too i think you know i had grandparents that passed away that we lived hundreds of miles away and so sad but you know i had never gone through um a funeral of somebody that was close to me very 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 close i mean i sure i knew my grandparents but uh, you know, one had Alzheimer's and so didn't really know her personality that well. The other one, uh, when my mom's side passed away, I think I was nine, uh, and for most of my life lived halfway across the country. I remember him. Um, it was sad. I can remember the day my, I remember waking up early, uh, for some reason and my dad telling my mom, I remember that, um, um, my paternal grandparents always lived very far away. I mean, sad. I knew them, but I never had that experience of burying uh, somebody that was very close to me, like a parent, a brother, a spouse, or anything like that, obviously. And so uh, it was a new experience for me uh, to watch people go through that. And then to have myself be overtaken by emotions, again, not not and not necessarily because of the person although that happened too but just because of the power of what was coming out of my mouth mm-hmm. um was what what it it made everything not sad but just beautiful it was it was a beautiful morning kind of thing if we can we can flip things upside down but that's what theologians of the of the cross too, they see this death uh, that seems so bad and they will not cover it up with cheap sentimentality, but will see it actually as good through the lens of the cross and the resurrection. Anything else to add? Let the bird fly. Uh, every evening when the sun goes down, get my party and I begin to cry. I don't care what the people are thinking. I'm not drunk, I'm just a tank. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. I set him up, another round. One more round won't get me down. I said, honey, honey, I don't care.